Well, hey, church, it's good to see you. Uh, it's good to see you for Youth Takeover Weekend. I know we've celebrated a lot, but can we thank our youth worship team who led us in this place? And once again, I know Pastor Cliff already said thank you. But once again, on behalf of the Next Gen, the Next Gen team, I wanna say thank you for allowing this next generation to have an impact right now. People who know me as pastor or leader, for those who don't, uh, my name's Ryan. I am the MSM, the middle school ministry pastor here at Bridgeway. And for those who know me know I have a way with one-liners and little quips and puns and stuff like that. I see students out here just like, but... We believe that they are the church of today, not someday. So thank you for being a church bridge, bridgeway that allows them to live for Jesus right now. Amen? Amen? It's a big deal and it's important. And I'm excited for today because I, I believe I'm supposed to be bringing a message of hope. A message of victory in a time where it's very needed. Pastor Cliff also said or mentioned the year and a half that uh, we've had and then fear is starting to rise again with a new variant and a uh, new this and all the fear mongering we often, often see on the news. And, but I believe this message is important for us because I believe it's a message of hope and victory when it's very much needed. Amen. Today's message is called We Rise. But as a prelude... And to give a context for the necessity I believe this message is, we must face the damage done to individuals, families, and communities during 2020. And so far, for many this year in 2021, it's been a season of fear. It's been a season of panic. And it's been a season of anger and isolation and I'm going to remember 2020 as a year of darkness. And it's left many of us still recovering and still feeling fearful. And for some, it took them to the place of being fearful and faithless. Some stats from Christian Families Solutions. And this is the fourth service and it's, it tastes worse every service even reading the stats of the impact the last year and a half has had on us. Mental distress has increased by 700%. Calls to the National Suicide Hotline increased by 600%. For families, prior to the pandemic, 3% of parents reported experiencing severe distress and in 2020, it jumped to 37%. And in 2020, it was officially bar by far the highest single year death rate in American history and the strongest increase that we've ever seen, the closest being in 1918 with the Spanish flu in the war. 2020 was hard. COVID can be dangerous, but lockdown and isolation are too. It was interesting, in the summer, 
of last year, we did services and alliteration intended. I'm sorry, I said I'm punny sometimes. We did services in the parking lot and we did these parking lot praise parties. And it was great to be with people again and get to uh, worship Jesus as a community and all of that. But I shared this scripture because it was very clear in my life that um, this was happening to me too. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we read this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In church, when I finished, was working on my graduate studies and becoming a researcher, and not just Google, because not everything on Google is true, but when I was doing my research for my master's degree, for my capstone thesis, I was like, this scripture is powerful. There might be symbolism in how a lion actually hunts. If that's what the enemy is being symbolically compared to. And this is what I read in the National Geographic Research Library. Lions are fierce predators that often stalk their prey before attacking. Their attacks cause prey to panic and disperse, allowing lions to isolate and attack a weaker or slower individual. Church, in 2020, with fear rising, with shelter in place being required and isolation becoming the new norm, our enemy went hunting. It hit really close to home recently as well in the last couple weeks. Many of you, if not everyone, received emails about a friend, a great friend of mine and fellow leader and pastor here at Bridgeway, Pastor Matt Bach, contracting COVID and him experiencing one of those stories where it went really bad really fast. The symptoms rose and became very aggressive. He was in the hospital, quarantined, isolated, wasn't allowed to see any family, any friends. And his family was crying out to God and praying because they couldn't be with Matt as the news kept coming back that it was worse and worse and worse. And for an entire week, it significantly got more severe to the point where he was taken to ICU and doctors were using language that we fearfully heard in 2020 that it's the worst case scenario if we have to do this. And it's the language they were using. But I watched something happen here at Bridgeway in our country and around the world that was powerful. I watched this prayer army arise and start saying, my God doesn't answer to this disease. This disease does not have the final word in the purpose in Matt's life. Yes, God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we began to pray bold. And for the first time in a long time, if ever, I saw social media being used as an actual good tool. As we were able to pray together online and shout praises to our God regardless of the fear. Regardless of the what if this happens or what if that happens and something powerful happened in that moment. People started praying all, literally all over the world because Pastor Matt has been used by God for such a powerful and profound impact. But prayer started rising. 
And we had a prayer meeting here at Bridgeway in the pavilion, outside the pavilion where we worshiped, where we cried, and where we prayed bold. Where we prayed things like that Matt and his family, for Matt and his family, that fear would fall away and that hope would rise. Here's a timeline for you. Matt was taken to the ICU from the general hospital quarantine uh, shelter section, taken to the ICU on Thursday. Friday was his worst day. We had our prayer meeting on Friday. Friday evening, that night, the only person Matt had gotten to see, it just so happened to be a friend and a mentor as a chaplain at the same hospital. And he was able, Pastor Perry was able to come into the room with Matt and be with him and start praying. 12 hours later, Matt had been stuck in a prone position because it was the only way he could breathe. 12 hours or 12 and a little more hours later, the disease started to diminish and started and hope and healing started to rise where Pastor Matt is now at home with his family, filled with hope, filled with, desi- filled with a desire to be used by God for it in a powerful way. The disease did not have the final say, our Jesus did. I watched Pastor Matt's son at the prayer meeting in the pavilion, praying boldly for his dad. And our Jesus, our Yahweh God and the Holy Spirit hears the prayers of the saints. Matt said something at staff meeting this week as he was with us and there were tears and the good type of tears. And there was victory in this incredible place, but he said something that was so profound and so like, yep, I'm sharing that because of what I wanted to do this weekend for service. Pastor Matt said this, the love of of the community of faith was sustaining me. The love of the community of faith was sustaining me. People are still getting sick and going to get sick, church. How we rise, how we fight is to stand in the gap and pray that our God has the final say. Praying bold that our God's not afraid of what we're afraid of and that his will be done. That's how we fight our battles, relying on his strength instead of our own, amen? But that brings me to the message today. We rise, Church, we were made for community, not captivity. But community can be hard. I heard a mentor and a friend on his leadership podcast say something that's silly, but also quite true. Community is messy, but it works. Community is messy, but it works. We were made for community. Pastor Lance shared a couple of weeks ago in services, a portion of his message, he talked about how literally from the beginning of creation, when God created Adam, even though God was fully present in the garden, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. We were made for a we. We were made for community. We know we need people, amen? Amen. We know we need people. 
But it's easy. We say we need people, but then it's easy for us when we don't really trust people with our pain and with the things that we're really struggling with and the mind monsters in our brain. We can feel very lonely even in a crowded room like this. Pastor Lance went on to say that we operate as containers for God. We love community because it gets us closer to God. And that we operate as containers so we represent our God in his love, in his grace, in his forgiveness, in his fight for victory. We represent our God in that way. And often, church, God does not just do things to people but through people. We need community. And that's why we come to this message today, we rise. Here's the fill in the blank for you. I like having fun with words and coming up with little things that are catchy and punny and all the other E's, but the fill in the blank is a question. And I think you might have a chance to remember it. That's why I wanted to have fun with it because someone from yesterday, today told their friend, this question and said, I'm that for you. So here's the fill in the blank in your program and in the app. The fill in the blank blank for today's message is, who be your we? Who be your we? We must ask ourselves if we have a we that gives us more of God and gets us to him when we're not strong enough to on our own. I'm sharing a scripture today that's my all-time favorite narrative, event, story of the Bible, and it's Jesus. And it's one of those healing stories. And I may be just a little bit charismatic. I like to consider myself a thinking charismatic, but charismatic nonetheless. I always in these stories like this one want to jump to the healing and I miss the process, the power in the process that happens in the whole narrative as a whole. So I'm gonna read a biblical event, a biblical moment where Jesus does a massive healing. But I wanna go on a journey through the text together to see why we can know that we rise together and not apart. In Luke 5, 17, this narrative, this event shows up in three of the gospels. We're gonna read from it in Luke. Luke 5, 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him before Jesus. A Christian author and writer and former pastor of Northern California wrote a book where he talks about this story. And the book has a brilliantly accurate name. Tell me if I'm wrong. His name's John Ortberg. I'm gonna read a quote from his book. Everybody's normal until you get to know them. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Everyone's normal until you get to know them. But here's what he said about this man. With these friends, with these people who are bringing a paralyzed man 
to get him to the feet of Jesus. He says, what's this man got going for him? He has friends. He has amazing friends. He has one of the killer small groups of all time. He has one of the killer small groups of all time. We need to understand something though. We know it's hard for people who encounter or have disabilities today. In the ancient world, it had a different level of danger and a different level of horrific. If you have a little one, like little, little one in the room, now would be the good time. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, now would be a good time for the earmuffs or play like a Lego movie on the iPhone. I don't know. But it'd be time for that because my two little boys... I have to do that because they re remember and repeat everything that's said. <laughs> but I made a light joke, but this is gonna get hard to read. The ancient world was horrific for physically handicapped. The Greeks regularly disposed of newborns that were physically deformed. Greek philosopher Aristotle wrote, let there be a law that no deformed child shall be raised. Generations before Jesus, during the fifth century, there was a statute in law on the, boat, on the books to, quick, to quickly kill a deformed child. This was an oral civilization where everything was told by stories. Generations and generations and generations later, there would still be a weight to experiencing a disability of this magnitude. And for God's people, there was a different stigma that this man faith, even as a believer or as a part of the Jewish community. Within the people of Israel, the assumption was that people brought their disability um, um, to themselves through sin. You might remember the, another healing story in John 9 where the blind man, where Jesus came to the blind man and his di disciples asked, the people asked, who sinned, him or his parents? But imagine what it was like for this man as a paralytic. He lived his entire mat life on a mat that would have been three feet wide by six foot long. Someone had to feed him, clean him, move him constantly so he didn't develop bed sores. There was no medical treatments, no surgeries, no hope for independence. Someone in this man's condition would have been forced to simply be a beggar on the side of the road or the side of the village or community, desperately seeking for people to provide for him. But it makes me think, do you think those friends who are bold enough to try to get him to the feet of Jesus in that place of desperation, do you think those same friends, there's a chance they might've been the ones who carried him every single day to go beg? I got intense for a second and now I'm gonna get a little bit lighter to ease the tension. A grown human man is not easy to move. Not consistently at least. 
Not to be selfish, but I have a six-year-old who I will not carry. And he does this thing that apparently my wife says I do, and I don't believe it, where he gets tired or annoyed or something like that. He'll like lower his arms and his shoulders and he'll just be like, and then he'll want you to carry him. We'll be walking from our neighborhood pool. Our neighborhood has like from the 70s, one of those uh, neighborhood co-op pools where only a certain amount of houses have keys for it. It's awesome. And we walk to it all the time, but after he swims all day and he has a good time and we're walking home, he's, he's just like, I'm tired. You carry me? And I'm like, you are a six-year-old man boy. <laughs> and I know you can get home. But then he's smart because, like I said, he repeats everything he hears and he goes, I can't. I have growing pains. <laughs> and I can't use that excuse with my wife. Anyways. But in all seriousness, these men were in bold pursuit enough, a desperate place enough to get their feet, their, get their friend who had been held captive to a mat his entire life to the feet of this Jesus who they had heard was a miracle worker. This man had something that was not that did not answer to his pain, that did not answer to his disability. And what would cause him to live fearful, faithless, and hopeless? This man had a we. Verse 19, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. I know I'm a middle school pastor, but every once in a while I do some adulting. So this story, if I was the owner of that home, I'd be quite angry because I know my home warranty isn't gonna cover that. People digging through the roof of my house to get in for this guest speaker. <laughs> I have, see, I know it's Jesus, so I should let him, but, and he can make the roof whole again, but, trespassing, breaking and entering, uh, digging and entering. It's the dad jokes, I'm sorry. But these men weren't willing to say, uh, we give up when the house was too full and there was no way to get in because of the crowd. But it's important to know the context of this home that they did this with. Home in this time in Capernaum where this story happened did not look like our homes in America. They were a little bit more communally driven. I'm gonna show some pictures, some renditions of what homes would have looked like at that time and I'm gonna read from a, com from a commentary to give us a picture for us who are visual thinkers, learners, all of that. For the rest of us, we can just stare at the pictures and go, I wouldn't live there. But, Let's look at what this home was like that these men were willing to dig through a roof of. Archaeologists have dug up homes in Capernaum and found that the largest homes would fit about 50 people in them if they were standing really close together. People did not live in homes like ours with separate bedrooms for each person. 
There was just one or two rooms where everything took place. So let's picture Jesus packed into a very simple home that was full of people. People spilled out all around the front door. They stood on their tiptoes, craning their necks to see Jesus. They leaned through the windows just to hear what Jesus had to say. Homes in this time didn't have roofs like our homes either. The roofs were made with branches that were laid across ceiling beams. The branches were packed with mud and dried in the sun. They'd be sturdy enough to walk on, but could be dug through. Often, there was an outside staircase leading up to the rooftops. So these men were willing to climb up the side of someone's house, if there were stairs for it, dig a hole in the roof out of a place of desperation for the pain of their friend. They were willing to do what it takes. They were willing to interrupt one of our services to get their friend the hope that only comes from our Jesus, amen? Amen. To get their friends there and then we see our Messiah's response. Verse 20, and when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven? Wait, we're here for healing. We're here that this man who's been paralyzed his whole life to like get up and walk and everyone freak out. We're here for that. But our Jesus has a way of keeping the main thing the main thing. Why forgiveness? Why did he say that? Out of care for this man, Jesus keeps first things first. A healing for eternity is far more important than any healing in our current reality, amen? Amen. When Jesus speaks, your sins are forgiven, he shows this man that the healing for his soul, the healing for his eternity is far more important than the temporary here on this earth. But he's also doing something else here. Because Jesus had a way of making the church folk of that time really mad. Because he wasn't the king that they wanted. He was the one that later it'd be very clear that they needed. This is how they responded. When Jesus speaks for God, there was frequently opposition. Enter the religious elite. Verse 22 or 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins except God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus was making it very clear where his power came from. Jesus was making it very clear that he was the divine. And verse 24 continues. And he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. The miracle happened. 
The miracle the friends were desperate for, to get their friend to the feet of Jesus so he would not be held captive, that he would not feel the pain and brokenness and feeling like his life was worthless or meaningless. They went home with all of that fixed and healed. But we can't miss where Jesus began the power and why. We always jump to the healing, like I said, that this man was set free of physical and spiritual, but when we jump to the victory, we miss out on how it happened. Let's go back to verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he was moved. There's a plural statement here. When he saw the friend's faith, he was moved. He might've been included. The paralyzed man on the map might've been included, but there's a they there. When he saw their faith, he was moved. Because our God moves when a community fights from, fights from his victory instead of their own. This is why we can rise, church, as a community, regardless of new news, regardless of new fears or old fears making their way back up. This is why we can rise hopeful, not fearful and hopeless or fearful and faithless. We can rise fearless and faithful because our God has a way of moving strongly in our we, in our community. Community is important. There are two things that we need to do to effectively build a we. Not just friends, not just people we kind of see at church on Sunday and high five and we agree the message is good and uh, I'm not saying that about mine, one of Pastor Lance's, but... It's not one of those, but authentic relationships, relationships of trust and transparency and hope in the places where we feel like we wanna give up. There's two areas that we need to talk about of building a real we. The first one is this, you need a we. We live in a country that loves to be prideful enough that I can do all things on my own strength. And uh, we live in a culture uh, where we wanna make a name for ourselves and we want to be the best of this or the best of that. And we wanna make people proud uh, and we rely on our own strength. Until we get to the point where we realize our own strength isn't enough for the real battle. The enemy has more experience at the battle than we do. He's hunted for longer. And our enemy's not stupid. He has more battle practice than we do. He's not stupid. He's just a loser. Amen? But you need a we. Remember that the enemy goes hunting in our isolation. We must engage in a we, we were made for it. Community never happens by accident. It takes work though. Remember, I said from that mentor of mine, community is messy, but it works, but I'll add to it. Community is messy, but it works and it takes work. Real relationships can sometimes be real hard. Would anyone else agree? 
Real relationships can be real hard, but it's easy because it takes hard work to have a strong we, to as soon as things get hard or as soon as things get hard in the same way multiple times where we wanna move on and we wanna you know, uh, find a new crew or something like that. But community is hard or community works, but it takes work. And one of the excuses we might think in our heads is I'm too busy. I got too much going on with my family and with work and with this and this and this, I'm too busy. You ever noticed, uh, this happens to me. I read a book by a pastor whose writings I love. I've read all of his work. His name's John Mark Cormer. He's a pastor in Portland, Oregon. And you know you gotta be called to be a pastor in Portland. But, <laughs> but just kidding, friends, uh, if you're watching online from Oregon, but <laughs> he wrote in one of his books, he says, uh, busyness is uh, like a prideful trap. Because when we see someone we haven't seen in a while, when we see someone we haven't seen in a while, and we say, hi, how are you? And everyone's like, all that. One of the first things we'll say is, I'm busy. I'm busy. But we can't be too busy for community. God didn't make us to be isolated and fighting for our victories on our own. We can't be too busy for what it takes to have people who fight for us when we're not strong enough to. Maybe our healing or someone else's victory needs us to stop blaming busyness, amen? It does take work. So I have some questions for you about that first point, that you need a we. The first question is this, do you have people you trust with your pain, with your brokenness and shortcomings and even your sin? Do you have people who fight for your victory when you just aren't strong enough to? Number three, who do you have, who do you have that gets you to the feet of Jesus when you're hurting? Church, who knows, who really knows about your hurt and your brokenness and still fights for you when you've given up on fighting for yourself? When I got, uh, many of you know my medical situation and testimony and everything, uh, seven years ago, um, at 27 years old, I was a young, zealous youth pastor, way different than now, but... I was this young, zealous youth pastor. And I was one of those youth pastors who would say these big things like, I believe I'm gonna be a part of watching the Sacramento Valley of dry bones come to life. You know, and I was so passionate and I was so busy being in front of people like this that I didn't trust people with the broken parts. And then I was hospitalized. And they could find nothing in the hospital and they said, we need to do an MRI immediately, Ryan. I said, what would an MRI show that and all these other tests, the CT scans, the X-rays, the blood work and all that, what would an MRI show that those wouldn't? And they said, it would show multiple sclerosis. Let's hope it's not. And they did the MRI and it was very clear by the amount of damage, the lesions on the pictures of my brain, including my C-spine, the amount of damage that was done from this disease, multiple sclerosis. And I was just like, God, really? 
really? I was so busy being brave and strong in front of other people that I wasn't prepared to face that giant. So two, some of the only two people who I trusted with stuff like that are two uh, incredible mentors and heroes in my life. And I, call, I texted both of them. They both immediately messaged me back. One of them was on their way back from Asia because their worship team was on tour. And the other one is a pastor in Kansas City or Kansas City. Um, sorry, I do with a little accent just to give him a bad time. But he tells me, uh, until you come visit, you've never tried barbecue sauce. I'm like, okay. But, but one of them in Kansas City, he used to be in Colorado. The one on the way back from Asia said, I'm calling as soon as I land. And the other one called me right away and they both said very similar things and said, God, Ryan's not done. Or Ryan, God's not done. Maybe they prayed like that. God, Ryan's not done. <laughs> they said, Ryan, God's not done. God's not done using you for his glory and using you in a powerful way. Have hope. You're not alone in this. I needed a we. I also was at a conference right after I uh, got that diagnosis with our friends at Thrive at Bayside. And they had a speaker who, I love his writing and I love his heart. His name's Bob Goff. And I know some people have heard of Bob before. Uh, Bob is kind of like that uncle you really hopes at Christmas. He's just funny and he's filled with joy and he's so fun. And this is right after I got my diagnosis and I'm in conference just sitting in the audience and all of that. And he's just sharing these crazy stories of hope and really funny stories. And I'm bawling uncontrollably. And I'm sitting next to my mom. And my mom was just goes, Ryan, are you okay? What's wrong? And I was just like, mom, I just needed the hope. I just needed the joy. And I mentally felt like, because I don't know if I'm going to feel it again. Because I was scared. My neurologist, based on the damage at my age, was like, Ryan, uh, your disability is, uh, there's little ones in the room, I'll say, carp shoot. It's a crap shoot. Anyways. <laughs> my boys repeat everything, Remember? So it's very weird it's, if they go to school or something, they're like, oh, it sounds like a carp shoot. But, but, I mean, having a neurologist say that, I was just like, <laughs> so I was bawling uncontrollably while everyone else is laughing. Quite embarrassing, but no one was looking at me. They were looking at Bob. My mom goes, and I just said I needed the hope. So I got his book. And Bob's overly awkwardly outgoing like I am. So in his New York Times bestselling book, he put his cell phone on the back page. And I was like, I'm gonna see if this dude's real. I read his book, not in front of people, but cried every chapter, the stories of hope and the, the stories of just like only God could do that. And I'm, I'm having this moment. I'm like, I, I gotta call Bob. So I called him and it went straight to voicemail and I left a voicemail and I said, Bob, my name's Ryan. I'm a youth pastor in Sacramento and I just want to say thank you. I was at Thrive Conference and I just needed the hope. 15 minutes later, I move on. Like I'm never going to hear from Bob. 15 minutes later, I get this call on my phone that I didn't recognize. And I was like, uh, and I forgot. I'm like, it couldn't be Bob. But 
I go, hello. And he goes, hey, is this Ryan? And I was like, yeah. And there's this moment of silence. He goes, it's Bob. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my gosh. But I told him everything I just told you. And, I, uh, and he goes, Ryan, thank you. You have no idea how bad I needed this call and the hope that it brought for me. Church, the way we fight our battles is from a we, even if it's at a distance and a dream we for me like Bob Goff. But the way we fight our battles is by allowing others to fight for us when we're not strong enough to anymore, amen? amen. Because God often doesn't just do things to people, but through people. The first part was you need a we. The second part is this. And it's clear for us as a church, it's clear for us as um, individuals, uh, we need you. Church, we need you. We rise when we fight for each other's victory instead of simply privately seeking our own. Yes, it's a personal faith, but a personal faith was never meant to stay a private faith. We're called to go public with it. We're called to do it in community. And you need to understand you have something to offer. This is why I say we need you. You have something to offer that no one else in human history ever has or ever will offers to a we. You wanna know what you have? You. You're God's plan A for you and there isn't a plan B. When he said wonderfully and beautifully or wonderfully and incredibly made, he was talking about you. You're needed. We have to ask ourselves if we're living in a way that we're willing to fight for others. Who in your we, church, is hurting right now? The we you already have. Who in your we is hurting right now? Who really needs you to symbolically carry them to the feet of our healer? The feet of our Jesus. See, it's hard to trust people. It can be. You've heard the statement for hurt people hurt people. You've heard that one? I think Jesus isn't okay with us leaving it there. I think Jesus is calling us as a church, as a we as Bridgeway, but then for each of us as individuals in our different we's, in our different communities, in our different tribes, to live more so this way. Hurt people encounter healing when they have people who get them to the feet of Jesus when they can't do it on their own. Hurt people encounter healing when they have people who fight and rise to get them to the feet of Jesus when they can't do it on their own strength. We need you, church. But a lot of us are making for someone else to make the first move. There's ways to do it easily. Uh, shameless plug, you can serve in MSM. We're watching a generation come alive in Christ in a powerful way, which you're about to see in just a minute as we come to a close. You could serve at MSM or HSM, or you really wanna get to know people. Greeters are awesome. <laughs> we have a we here at Bridgeway that we need a church who says, God, God, here I am, send me. I'm a part of this we. There's missional communities, there's classes, there's ways to develop a we in your life so you no longer 
have to feel isolated and like you're fighting your battles alone because that's never what God intended. A boldness arises, church, in the darkness when we live in bold pursuit of Jesus and as a we, we start to light up that darkness. I don't know if you've seen it in our world, but our world really needs it right now. And as a we, we rise, amen? Amen. Something powerful happened at the end of, as we come to a close, at the end of Shelter in Place. And I was at a kickball game with one of our guys' small groups um, or something like that. I think there are leaders in here. But, um, and I talked to a young person and it was one of those moments where I get preached to. And that's always like humbling. When I have a preteen tell me about God and convict my heart, I'm like, I guess I can retire. No, I'm just kidding. Like raising up that next generation to be the church of today, not someday. But when I was frustrated and angry, but I was pretending to be strong and hopeful and all of that, I watched God make that scripture come to life that no one likes hearing when they're going through a hard time. You know, the all things work together for the good of those according to his purposes. I love that verse. I only jokingly say that when someone says it when you're hurting, you're like, I know. But I had a preteen who's only known the digital age, who's only known uh, to infinity and beyond in his pocket, who's never heard of things like pagers, who's never who's never heard the dial-up internet noise. <laughs> it's always been right here, right on, always available. I had him after last year in shelter in place say to me, I'm done with screens. I need people. And I was like, shoot. You know, I got, I got all excited while they're just playing kickball and getting way too competitive. They're middle school boys. But... I think some of the leaders were getting a little too competitive too. But he, when he said that, and we, became, we get, began to come back together, our young people had this hunger. They had this fight. They had this desire for community and a desire to rise up and say, we will not be defined by what we face, but, but, but by who we follow. They became so bold in their faith. They became so bold uh, in wanting to represent God and wanting to worship God uh, that we had this event called Bold. It was our first event with all of the ministry together since we were allowed to. And it was a little bit conference and a little bit camp and a lot of bit competition. And we had so much fun at this event And I went to two of our adult leaders. I went to Lauren Hammerstrom, who's our new MSM admin, and Candace Lampire, Lampfear, who was our MSM admin and and yes and amen is now the BYA admin here, stepping into the new song that God's writing for her here at Bridgeway. I went to them and I said, "I, I wanna write a song. You guys are gifted musicians. I want to write a worship song for this conference, for this event, for this uh, bold moment where we're finally coming back together. And I want it to be a fight song. I want it to be a battle cry that we will not be defined by the darkness, but we'll be used by God to light it up. 
And so they, with two students, were together and Candace took the lead and they came together and they wrote this song called Boldness. That's become this song that, and when I'm going through hard stuff or I'm having the mind monsters met with me, I feel like all I need to do is start chanting the chorus or the bridge. It became this powerful anthem that arose for our ministry. And I think it's one for us as believers here at the church. This anthem arose that I think clearly shows how we will fight our battles together. From a place of living from God's victory instead of desperately seeking our own. From a place of not living fearful when the news changes or if numbers elevate with the latest thing that scares us. Not from a place of being fearful and faithless or fearful and hopeless, but a place of being fearless and hopeful. And we're gonna finish tonight, or today. Sorry, I'm used to preaching at night. We're gonna finish today by worshiping together. That's how we fight our battles, praising our King. So we're gonna worship together, and I challenge you, use this time to worship Jesus in scripture, it's called the altar and we call it the altar because uh, it's a place where they would bring their offerings to God. And we want our worship to be an offering to our savior and our healer. So if you wanna join us up front, I'll be up here. Uh, if you wanna join us up front to worship in this last song together, be with us. If you wanna stand where you're at, you can do that too. But if, Or if you want to, just sit and close your eyes and pray and just seek God. God, who be my we? Who do I have who fights for me? And God, if I don't, help people start to shine to me, to surround myself with people who will help me not be defined by my pain, by my sin, by my brokenness. And it'll be a we who gets me to the feet of our Jesus. We're gonna worship and then we're gonna close in prayer. This song is called Boldness, and it was written by student leading the song today and leaders at Bridgeway as well. Let's worship together, church.
pray together, church. Uh, King Jesus, this is how we fight our battles together. We rise. We rise out of all of the fear, out of the darkness that often gets thrown at us out of your strength. And as a community who fights for each other's victory, not just our own, who fights our enemy with the strength of our conquering and healing and saving Jesus. So we rise together. Heavenly Father, we wanna build communities who are running after you together, communities we can trust as individuals with our brokenness, with our, um, with our shortcomings, with our sin. We wanna surround ourselves with a community who fights for us when we're not strong enough because we is always greater than me. And we rise when we're in bold pursuit of you, Jesus. We love you. We trust you and we pray all these things in your mighty and incredible name. Amen, church. Church. Church, thank you for letting us be with you for you take over weekend. Be sent. Have a great week. And keep asking yourself, who be your we? Have a good one.